Hey guys, did you know that our Bitches Talk the Task list is finally out? 9,300,027 minutes later, we are finally done with the task list. This was a very big feat. And with the task list, it is over eight hours that you could listen to the bitches while you're driving around town. What sounds more nauseating or, I mean, more exciting than driving around with us and learning every item on the task list? You guys requested it. We did it. You could find it on www.studynotesaba.com. Study Notes ABA. ABA in a little X rated away. It's behavior, bitches. Hey guys, it's Liat and Casey, and we are here today with episode 62. Casey, do you have a rhyme? I think we have run out of words. Uh, Let's see, 6-2, we're not feeling blue because we've got a sleep expert on the show today. And when you sleep, you don't feel blue. Was that terrible? Mm -hmm. Uh Uh-huh, yeah, it was. And. You know, but at least we've recognized lately, like, I'm happy that someone in class the other night called you out and was like, you know, give Casey an A plus for effort on saying things that are funny. Like she tried, like she could say the exact same statement after Liat says it, but we have to love her for that. Right. She says the exact same statement right after. And it's like, okay. Like in class the other night. All so flat. Yeah. She's like, I like your red hair. And there was like, I I said this, I said I go, oh my God, your ginger hair is so beautiful. And it was just like, and she's like, what? I'm like, I just called you a ginger. I meant like your beautiful red hair. Like my husband's a ginger. So I say it all the time. It fell horribly. Yeah, it fell. Anyways, guys, we're excited for today. We have a guest that we spoke to. Seems like COVID forever ago. ago. Yeah. Five ever ago. It was, I think the beginning of COVID. We were like, this is so weird. There's some virus or something. And now this is just life. Um, I, we remember like, this is so relevant. A lot of people aren't sleeping with this new crazy idea that there's something out there. Now it's like, I don't know if it's a crazy idea anymore. This is just life. So our guest today, we're very excited. Casey, can you tell us a little bit about this guest to build the foreplay and excitement? I sure can. Let me first read our review of the day. Leah, you forgot it, but that's fine. I got Oh my gosh, own. silly me. I'm sleep deprived. <laughs> you that's are. why we have this episode going on here. Yes. Let's read our review of the day. All right. This review is coming in from JLSWE. Um, the title was a boy and his mom create a bond. <sighs> Five stars. Um, you guys are both amazing. You both had helped us bond together through your podcast. Tony knows exactly when it's time for the new episode. He's hi, learned Tony. how to hi Tony. He's learned how to access the podcast himself. We can't thank you enough for what you bring to the world of ABA, and it has helped Tony create new positive habits. Thank you again for all you do. Love you both. Mean it. That touches my heart because this Tony, kid, Tony- on all my Instagram live stories. She's always like Tony says hi. Tony says hi. Um. I am so excited to hear this. This is amazing. And it just makes me think, oh, I'm so sorry for all the bad language you've used, Tony. Sorry (laughs) about it. Uh, I hope he's learning a lot about how not to speak. Absolutely. Thank you for that review. You're so kind. All right. Back to the matter at hand. Um, Today's episode, we have um, Dr. Kira Moore on, and she is a sleep 
Not moron. She's not a moron. <laughs> oh, Dr. Kira Moore. Space. You're on, on the, show. the show. Yep, yeah. Got it. Okay. Uh-huh. So she is like a sleep guru. Um, she, for over like five years, so uh, now I can't speak, sorry. Um, for over five years, she has specialized in the assessment and treatment of childhood sleep problems, um, especially in children with autism. Uh, she's worked with children from the ages of three to 22 of all functioning levels from nonverbal through very high functioning. So she can help me. That's great. She received her PhD in behavior analysis in 2015 from Western New England University. Ooh, New England, baby. Um, where she learned how to assess and treat sleep problems from Dr. Greg Hanley. Fan girling. All right. Prior to earning her PhD, she received her master's degree in ABA from Northeastern University. Um, and she worked at the New England Center, which again, is super close to me. Aside from treating sleep problems, she also specializes in treating severe challenging behavior through functional analyses and functional communication training, FCT. Um, when she's not doing all this amazing stuff, she spends her free time as a flying trapeze instructor. I, I, it's insane. So she's a badass. Welcome to the show, Kira. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming. I'm so, so glad we got this better. in much better bio than I could have done for myself. <laughs> well, I did kind of steal it from your website, but I just <laughs> flared it up a little bit. <laughs> so, I'm so yeah. excited to have you. This is this has been long in the making. So sometimes it feels like forever. It, yes, it, it, it is forever. I and time is lost. I I don't understand time these days. I'm like so confused. Literally, I went to my car yesterday and I noticed that my neighbor had like a wreath on her door and it had Easter eggs. So I was like, holy shit, are we at Easter already? <laughs> and then I realized, because <laughs> I haven't been to the store in forever and that usually lets me know what season we're in, you know, like, is it Valentine's? Is it uh, Halloween? Is it maybe Easter and I've missed it? Like I have not been out in five months. And so, but then I realized, no, she's probably behind on things. She hasn't taken it down yet. Or she just it's waits every year. Bit. Yeah, just so I was just, I mean, I don't know where the time's gone, but I'm so happy to have you today. Guys, we have our behavioral principles we will cover. There might be more, probably will, but here we go. We have antecedent behavior consequence, SD, MOs, NCR, fading, behavior skills training. So, Kira, tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you do exactly? Um, right now I, uh, run my own consulting company and I primarily specialize in sleep. I do a little bit of severe problem behavior consultation as well. Um, I consult to usually behavior analytic companies that are working with people on the autism spectrum that are having problems with sleep and they either want to get training for all of their staff and do some like CEU type event for their staff to learn more about sleep or to learn more about functional analysis. And sometimes I consult directly to families that are having sleep problems. So if they contact me, then I'll help them work through their sleep problems. It's usually a, a relatively quick process, which is nice. Oh, this is good for my sister. I was actually just posting on Facebook recently and Casey was like, this is not a support group. This <laughs> is This is not the place. And I'm like, <laughs> All right. How do we know? You make me seem like such a bitch. <laughs> she is really bitch. nice. I'm really nice. She's a behavior bitch. Um, I mean, 
what you are doing is so important. I mean, autism wise, not autism wise. My sister literally the other day was like, I have not, she has twin girls who are just turned three. I have not slept in, I don't know how long. I am so pissed off. If Ellie screams one more night through the night or Liv wakes up when the one's not sleeping, the other one is and oh my God. And if one wakes up one more time just screaming, no, 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 like every night. And people will do anything for themselves to get sleep and for others to get sleep because yeah, sleep is important. It's crazy too how much like, I mean, just with, with typically developing kids, the rates of sleep problems are really high. It's something almost every kid goes through at some point. With kids with autism, it's even higher. There's estimates that up to 80 to 90% of kids with autism have sleep problems at some point. Um, wow. So that's that's huge. Like that's, I mean, we're talking almost every kid with autism probably has or has had a sleep problem at some point. And then even rates of sleep problems in typically developing adults are are really high. So it's something that more than likely every person has encountered either for themselves or a family member or a child. So it's important stuff and and it's cool because anything that I do with sleep, regardless of whether it's with kids with autism or typically developing kids or typically developing adults or adults with autism, it's the same general principles that apply to everything. So if you learn how to treat sleep problems, you can treat sleep problems for everybody, which is cool, I think. Which is so amazing because when I, I just realized as you were talking that no part of me has I have become so used to the idea that you take a tablet to sleep. Yeah. Like, I, I I don't know how many years I've been doing this, that it's like, no part of me is like, oh, my body's tired. I will go to sleep now. It's like, okay, Liat, this is probably when people go to bed. So you should take your tablet now. It is 1230 p.m., you know? Yeah. And Yeah, that's that is- kind of something that I think that, that our culture is sort of, become I guess conditioned to think that sleep is a medical problem and then the treatment for sleep problems is medicine and that if you're having a sleep problem you can pop a pill and it'll go away and that is of course not the case at all it there is there's definitely some biological components to it and some important things that you have to understand about the biology of sleep um, but more often than not taking medication for sleep problems is not a sustainable treatment. It's not something you want to be doing long-term. Um, and, and most people that I work with, sleep problems are totally fixable behaviorally. And, and that goes for kids and adults. It's it's takes some work to be able to fix them sometimes, especially with adults, because they're usually sleep habits are kind of more ingrained and you've been practicing bad behavior for a long time. But it's, it's crazy that that's kind of, that's our go-to is like, oh, I should go see a medical doctor and they'll give me a pill and it'll be better. And that's definitely not the right approach to take. Right. And response effort. It's like, okay, I could either go make myself get off my phone for three hours before bed or lay in mm-hmm. a dark room with nothing to do or just take a tablet. Yeah. Yeah, the the response effort for behavioral treatment is definitely a lot higher, but I always try to tell families, especially when I'm working with them, it's going to be maybe two weeks of, of changing things and doing things differently. And the first couple nights, it's going to feel like hard work. After the first couple nights, it's going to get easier because it's going to sort of become your new routine. 
And if you consider how much work most parents are putting in already in dealing with sleep problems of their kids and not getting sleep themselves and having to get up multiple times in the night and deal with all the other kind of craziness that goes along with sleep problems, it's actually a lot less effortful to just kind of go through a behavioral sleep treatment. And then usually I tell parents, you stick with this for two weeks and you're going to develop lifelong better sleep habits for your child. So the changes we can make in two weeks, if you keep up with those, that'll last them a lifetime. And if you teach them good sleep habits now, that's going to carry them into adulthood and they're going to be better sleepers. So unfortunately taking a pill is easy, but it's not, not a great solution. And uh, there's so many side effects of sleep medication. And I mean, for adults, it's, there's a lot of medications out there. You can pop an Ambien and uh, for kids, not so much. There's, there's not, not very many approved medications for sleep problems for kids, which means we end up using a lot of things off label, which can be, really dangerous because it's not been studied and approved and tested for that. Um, and then it also leads to parents kind of just doing their own thing. I actually, I'm, I got myself into one of those Facebook um, groups for parents of kids with autism, which I don't know if you guys have ever checked any of those out. I am. Um, I'm in like quite a few. Yeah. It's super interesting to read the stuff that that comes up in there. Um, and there's one in particular that I'm in where the there's posts, there's probably a couple a day posts of parents saying like, my kid's having sleeping problems, I don't know what to do. And then all the comments are parents saying like, oh, I give my kid NyQuil, I give my kid Benadryl, I give my kid Benadryl and melatonin, or like, my kid's taking Xanax. And it's just like ah. all these different like med cocktails that either parents have made up themselves with over-the-counter stuff that they're combining or their doctors have prescribed. And every time I read those, I'm like, oh no, this is not good. And the few times that I've commented on those being like, hey, I'm a sleep specialist that works with kids with autism. Medication is not a good thing. There's not a lot of good data, but you can make some behavioral changes that can make some pretty pretty easy, quick fixes. Every time I comment on those, my comments get pulled down and the admins like flag it and tell me that I can't like self-promote or I can't like oh link people to my Facebook page that has like empirical <laughs> evidence for behavioral treatments and stuff where like my Facebook page is not geared toward selling my, right. my, my uh, consultation. It's just like, here's a lot of articles and tips and tricks and, and but if someone else and, recommended you. If somebody else recommended me, they probably wouldn't flag it, but it's like, because it's I've seen some groups, they will be like, uh, I don't know what to do with my kids' behavior, blah, blah, blah. It's, you know, if someone was going to be like, well, well, I also know like just for ABA therapy specific, like if it's, mm -hmm. I don't know what counts online as like self-promotion or I have no idea, but they're not doing it for the ethical code. They're just thinking that you're trying to like sell yeah. a random thing. They don't yeah. know that, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and I've tried posting in different ways. Most like most recently this weekend, I responded to a thread that was all these parents talking about basically over-the-counter cocktails that they've made to help their kids sleep and me being like, no, that's not good. I'm actually a doctor that does this kind of work and I'm happy to talk to anybody that wants to. I, I offer free consultation for parents and um, I have this Facebook page where I where I post like relevant research and articles and things that can be helpful that are non-medication. What and is that page? That. What is that page uh, so people can find a, you? Autism parents, 
think it's called autism parents support or something like that it's it's some really generic name and it says that it's for people who have um it doesn't it doesn't specify you have to have a child with autism to be in it 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 says that you have to have been like touched by somebody with autism or like know somebody with autism and i was like oh i, I know plenty of people with autism <laughs> so they let me in the group but they don't ever let me post anything which no which one is your page your page oh my my page yes. is um more behavior consulting on facebook okay so if you just search more behavior consulting, i'm saying so anyone listening up. can look it up yeah um and that that page is just i, I post it's pretty much all sleep related things um and it's usually whatever research is popping up that's new. Um, it's it's mostly behavior-based things. Um, and, and it's sometimes geared towards kids, but I try to mix in some adult-related content as well. So Amazing. what, like, when you, what is, like, the number one most, like, sleep issue that you see when parents come to you? Um, with children, it's usually co-sleeping. Um, mm -hmm. Although that never seems to be the thing that parents think is the issue. They they come with a generic like my kid's not sleeping or they're they're not they're not falling asleep or they're not staying asleep, um, and the biggest culprit of that usually is co-sleeping in some capacity. Either the parents are laying down with the, the child at night and with them when they fall asleep, um, or the child's ending up in their bed at some point, or the parents ending up in the child's bed, um, and that can be a really big problem. It can also be a really hard problem to fix because parents often don't want to change that. Um, I think that's a, a pretty sensitive topic for a lot of parents where they feel like this is my special time that I have with my child or this is the only time that I get to be close with them and I enjoy having them sleep with me or I enjoy sleeping with them. Um, so kind of being able to sort through why it can be problematic for kids and, and when is a good time to stop co-sleeping and, and work on independent sleep skills and good sleep hygiene is a really important conversation to have with parents. But that's, I, I think that's usually the biggest culprit. Um, as far as the kinds of problems I get, they're, they're sort of all over the board, but usually either kids not getting enough sleep or not falling asleep quickly or not staying asleep. I imagine that being a huge problem because, okay, I know I'm talking about a dog, but I literally was like, these dogs play next to me all day long. I feel so bad. I don't look at them. I'm always working. And I'm like, let them just sleep in my bed. And Eliran is like, they are not sleeping in the bed. I don't sleep. I'm like, they don't even go near you. They don't even like you. They lay next to me. And then <laughs> I just felt like an ass that like, I don't look at them ever. Yeah. And so, but then I started realizing that I would wake up feeling so sick every day. Like I'm in a flare up just cause like, my autoimmune conditions. When I don't sleep, I feel like shit. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, it's these dogs. Like I'm so scared for myself to like move them in the night and God forbid, wake them up that I'm sleeping like shit. So I imagine people feel that same guilt with their kids, but on steroids. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't have kids, so I, I can't ever know what it's like to be in that boat, but it's, I think it's important um, as a behavior analyst, whenever you're working with families, you have to be a behavior analyst, not only with the child's behavior, but also with the parent and try to understand where they're coming from and understand what are their MOs and what are their reinforcers and, and how can we work to shape their behavior to make sure that this whole experience when we're changing things at night is going to be pleasant for the child and for the parent and that it's going to end up having 
a good effect on their sleep, but also on the family dynamic. And everybody's going to still feel like they're getting the reinforcers that they need. They're getting the time together that they need. So I, I think when I run into parents that are reluctant to stop co-sleeping, I try to explain why it's really important that they don't so that we can get their child's sleep problems on track and, and it'll probably help their own sleep as well. Um, but we also try to talk about ways that we can still build in that time for them to have that special time with their kids or that that physical closeness or that cuddle time that that is really important. We want to make sure that that's, that's still a thing that they can access. So usually when, when we look at it that way, that kind of helps a little bit with, with getting over that hurdle. Yeah, I imagine especially, you know, a lot of parents who have um, kids with autism, it's like, you know, not always, obviously every kid with autism is a different kid with autism. It's not all the same, but, you know, they might be missing that, um, that closeness or that, you know, like physical, emotional, like, mom, I love you, hug this and that. So it's like, you could feel that closeness when I'm sure that adds yeah. in another barrier yeah, as to definitely. why it's more difficult. Yeah. And as I'm talking to you, I'm like, literally, I just texted my mom, like, mom, I have a sleep specialist for you. I just don't know why I didn't <laughs> think of my own brother with autism yeah. who is 22 and still ends up in their bed in the night, but they're both on sleeping pills. So mm -hmm. they like, are just like, whatever. But, um, yeah. and I'm like, yeah, that's not, not cool, mom, dad. Well, that's um, the hard thing too with yeah. co-sleeping with kids on the autism spectrum is that we have to remember a lot of kids on the autism spectrum are pretty far delayed sometimes from their like age, age normal behavior. So sometimes we have like a 10 year old that is functioning sort of at the level of a four year old and they're engaging in a lot of behavior that's developmentally appropriate for a child much younger. And then it takes them quite a bit of time to gain those skills and kind of get caught up. So a skill that might take a child, a typically developing child, a year to learn might take a child with autism five years to learn. So we always got to be sort of thinking way ahead. And so if we have even really young children with autism that are co-sleeping where the parents are like, no, it's okay. Like they're young, it's still appropriate. I'm okay with it. And the family feels okay about it. In a lot of those cases, I have to say, okay, well, let's let's think down the road. Like at what age is it going to not be appropriate for them to sleep with you anymore? And then how far ahead do we have to be working on these problems to make sure that we get to this, this milestone by this age? So if your goal is by the time they're eight, they're going to be out of your bed. But we know that it takes this child five times longer to learn skills than a typically developing child, then we probably still need to start working on this now, even if it feels okay now. Um, I've, I've seen cases of, I had a 22 year old male that was still sleeping in his mom's bed every night. And the mom, this, this kid had been um, a client at the place that I worked from the time he was three. And the mom had never brought it up before as being a problem. And we had no idea. And she came in shortly before he graduated and said, oh, I have one more thing that I want to talk about that, that I'd like to get taken care of before we're out of here. And she was like, he's still sleeping in my bed. And his dad's had to sleep in a separate room for 22 years. And we like, we've tried to get him out and we can't. And he like throws these big tantrums and he's really aggressive at this point And he's pretty big. And she said, you know, it was okay, but he's starting to disrobe at night and like he's sleeping in the nude and like sometimes he's engaging in behavior that I don't want to happen and 
of course, we assumed that that meant he's masturbating, which he was. And right. of course, that's not something that you want a 22-year-old kid in bed with his mom doing that. So it's it's definitely an issue where we got to be thinking ahead a lot about how to fix those problems before we get to that point. Because now when we're working with a 22-year-old large male who's aggressive, it's going to be a lot harder problem to fix. So absolutely and that's like 22 years of you know that behavior being reinforced and yeah i i mean i come from working with adults and it's so hard when parents will say those things like mm -hmm. oh by the way can you <laughs> fix this and i'm like and how when did this yeah. problem start when did this behavior start oh he's been doing it since he was little and it's like yeah but right. you, you got to imagine that when they're younger it's oh it's yeah not so much of a problem and it's like there's never going to be a moment where it like clearly changed from being not a problem to a problem and so it's really hard to spot that until it's too late, which is why I, I love working with families of younger children that have sleep problems because there's a lot of things that they'll be like, oh, well, let's not worry about that now. And I'm like, nope, we got to actually like, let's let's just nip this in the bud now because it's going to be way easier than when they're 22 and huge and we're trying to deal with it then. Um, that's but problem. that's not to say that we can't fix things when people are older. We, we do all the time. And I've just started doing some, um, I've been offering what I call sort of a quick consult model with typically developing adults where they can um, basically set up an hour long appointment with me and, and give me a quick rundown of what their sleep problems are. And I'll give them a quick, like, here's five things that you can change tomorrow that, that are going to make a big difference. And it's it's a really kind of abbreviated version of doing sleep treatment where obviously I'm not taking data and going in and doing a big assessment. It's just a quick overview of, okay, what's going on? Here's some things to try. And then if they want to follow up, they can. But um, with adults, sometimes it's as easy as that of like change these couple of things and then they're good to go. And of course, then it's up to the adult to actually make those changes and, and make it happen. But so yeah. follow through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the hard well, that's part. the hardest. I mean, I know a lot of these things that I should be doing. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, some of them are, you know, making my bed an SD for sleep, not an SD yeah. for texting or doing my iPad or Instagram Live or I don't know what I do. Like, I literally <laughs> feel like when I lay down, I'm like, oh, I finally have time. I should probably do some sort of Instagram Live today and say what behavioral principles I saw. And it's like, no, but you're in your head. And I'm like, oh, I see yeah. your headboard. It's green. The only it's time like I'm doing it when I'm laying in my bed. Yeah. I know it's really bad. Yeah, that is that is a really important point, though, that I think a lot of people don't understand is that your, your bed should be an SD for sleep. And that um, the, the cool thing with sleep is sleep in and of itself isn't really quite behavior um it's it is sort of what what's been referred to as a bio behavioral state so it's some sort of mix between behavior and a biological state um so there is an article um by i believe it's in blampede in france I'll, i have some references that i can give you guys um, where they where they talk about sleep as this biobehavioral state and, and they they kind of compare it to something like digestion or pregnancy. Those are also biobehavioral states where it's 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 something that's happening in your body that sort of looks a little bit like behavior but doesn't quite fit into it's like it's not really operant, it's not really respondent, it doesn't quite fit neatly into what we would call behavior. Um but that, that's what makes sleep really interesting um, is that we don't, 
as behavior analysts, we don't treat sleep in and of itself. We treat the behaviors behavior. Before. Yeah, the, the behaviors impairment. before. Yeah, so it's it's basically teaching people to reach a state of what the authors refer to as behavioral quietude. So it's the time that you're laying still and quiet in bed right before you fall asleep. So it's setting up a really good behavior chain that leads to sleep. And sleep is actually the reinforcer. So sleep is the reinforcer for falling asleep. And falling asleep is our target behavior. Um, but that's that means, interesting. Yeah, so that means we have to think about it as behavior, but we also have to think about the biological part of it. So when you said that um, being in your bed is an SD, it is an SD for the behavior of falling asleep, but it's also this sort of biological process going on where it's actually... Um, biological SD isn't quite the right word, but but that's sort of how I like to think about it, of like getting into bed can not only signal um, that reinforcement is available for falling asleep, it can also set off this sort of biological process in your body where your body starts releasing the right hormones to be able to fall asleep and starts to biologically prepare to sort of shut down and go to sleep. Um, so if you are reliably getting in your bed just to go to sleep, that process will happen a lot faster because that, like the SD of getting in bed actually triggers all those biological processes that need to happen. If you're getting in your bed to do all kinds of other stuff, then you're basically like screwing with the biological processes that are going on and your body's like, ah, I don't know what to do. Do I get excited? I need to repair. I need to repair with my bed. Yeah, Seriously. that's a really important one. And that's something that like a lot of people are really bad at. A lot of people lay in bed on their phone. A lot of people lay in bed and watch TV. People do work in bed. People do all kinds of stuff in bed. If if you if you can only make one change, that's one relatively easy change to make is don't get in your bed unless you're going to go to sleep. If you're going to take a nap, if you're going to go to sleep, great. If you're not doing those things, don't be in your bed. Or at the very least, if you're going to use your bed for other things, use it in a different way. So occasionally I live in a really small space right now. And occasionally I just want to be in a different room and I want to like go like lay down on my bed and look at Facebook for a little while. If I'm going to do that, I don't get in my bed. I don't use my pillow. I don't get under the covers. I might lay like diagonally across my bed on top of the comforter without my pillow. So at least then I'm making a little bit of a distinction there between like when I'm in bed with my covers on and my pillow and my pajamas and whatever, that's one one context. And then sometimes I might be on top of my bed and scrolling Facebook or doing whatever. But even so, I try to keep I generally out of my bed if I'm not going to sleep. Did I dream this or you told us when we spoke that you were in an RV by the trapeze park? That is true. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know. See, I thought maybe I was sleeping so well that I dreamed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah, know when I was that sleeping. So that is a real thing for you because yeah, you I, I have very live, limited space. Yeah. I currently am living in, it's a, a really big RV, but it's an RV and we're living at a trapeze school. And hopefully when this uh, pandemic ends, we won't be living in, in a trailer at a trapeze school anymore, but it's fun right now. It's, it's great well, it's too. funny that you say like a small space. I don't live in an RV, but I bet you your RV is bigger than my apartment, to be honest <laughs> with you. And I find myself too, like where I'm sitting right now, like 
is my living room, is my kitchen, is, is my toilet, is my, mm-hmm. I spin bike right here. Do you see this? Like, yeah, yeah that's my, yeah. I like, I, I literally don't leave this four by four box yeah. all day when I'm working or working out. Like, so mm-hmm. I find myself like, you know, if I'm like, okay, I just need a break to go, you know, again, scroll Facebook or something. I find myself going to the only other room, which is my bedroom. But I, yeah. I like, I do this thing and that always laughs at me. He's like, you look so uncomfortable. Like I stand at the edge of the bed and like lean on half on the bed, but my feet are on the ground. And yeah. like, so like, I don't ever make it like, uh, I don't get in bed, but I like find myself, I'm just leaning over the bed and yeah, I don't know. It's just it was interesting. Yeah, when you I think said that's that. a good compromise to make because I think a lot of a lot of people are in that situation where they're like, yeah, but I don't have another place that I can go and relax or lay down or my TV is in my bedroom or whatever. So if you can at least make it as different as possible, so that like you could it be is dramatic. Like, you could be dramatic. You could like put spikes yeah. on the bed and be like, this is the S <laughs> Delta for you not to lay here, Leah. That's DP. That's funny. Yeah, like when the red blanket's on, it's like no. When the green blanket's on, it's like, go. Yeah. <laughs> and guys, yeah, anyone I mean, listening that doesn't know what an SD is, it's just, it's something in the environment. It's a stimuli that signals that reinforcement is available. Mm-hmm. Um, and S Delta would just be no reinforcements available here. Right. So just so people that are go. listening. Yeah. No, thank understanding. you for breaking that down. Sometimes yeah. we get all nerdy and we start talking in all these languages and I'm like, oh, I'm, not everyone. And then my <laughs> uncle, hi, Melvin, who's a pediatrician and Australia who listens to all our podcasts, he said, do you guys know that maybe people like myself are having no idea what you're talking about because you're not, you're not explaining what those terms were like you did in your earlier episodes. And so that was really good feedback. So yeah, thank you. For that. I, I, I was on a, another podcast where I was talking about sleep and, and it was a behavior analytic one. And I had at least two family members reached out to me and they're like, I, I thought it sounded really interesting. I tried to listen to it and then I didn't understand anything, but it was great to hear your voice. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, sorry. We're going to practice that, uh, what yeah. is it? Behavioral breakdown. No, but I'm, I'm talking, thinking about the, um, oh, when you non-jargon. Say yeah, like non-jargon, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's it's hard. It, it's important though with sleep stuff, I think, because it's it's an important thing for everybody to understand how to, fix sleep problems and at the end of the day it's it's honestly a lot of the changes that you can make are not that hard to make and I think it is important to understand why they work and why they're important but also important to be able to understand that and explain that without using a lot of jargon and terms that people are like whatever are are you a good sleeper I am a professional sleeper she has to be, right? That's how I, that's <laughs> that is how I I'm a behavior analyst. My dog shit all over the carpet. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that's that's how I got so interested in doing sleep is that I've always, like, sleep has been my favorite thing in the world. And I've always been somebody where it's, like, super important to me that I get a good night's sleep. And, like, to the point where it was, like, really stressful to me in grad school like how am I supposed to get eight hours of sleep when I'm working 50 hours and I'm in a PhD program and I'm trying to like also stay alive and when I remember the night that that Greg Hanley started talking about sleep in class and it was never something that I had even considered I could do as a behavior analyst because I the same as what we talked about in the beginning I thought like sleep's a medical thing and that's a medical problem and like it's not a behavior thing and I don't really need to think about that um and when we started talking about it in class i was like oh oh this stuff is really cool and like oh i can apply this in my own life and like 
it's really important. And I'm so interested in sleep and making sure that I get good sleep. And now I realize that I can be a behavior analyst about that. And that's really cool. Um, but yeah, I sleep. Um, I, I try to get nine hours of sleep a night. That is not always the case. It's easier now in the pandemic because I've lost a lot of work. So I got a little more free time on my hands, which is great. Um, but adults need seven to nine hours of sleep a night. And that's all adults. Um, there is there have there has been study after study after study that has shown that to be the case that basically when they put people in a lab and they don't have cues about what time it is or like day and light that people will consistently adults will consistently sleep seven to nine hours a night and it's seven to nine because there are there are people that will average closer to seven and that's like naturally where their body wants to be and then there are people that will be closer to the nine end. Um, I know for myself, I function best if I'm getting about nine hours of sleep a night. Um, my boyfriend is the opposite. He can be at around seven a night and that seems to be all he needs and he's good to go. So there's a little bit of variance there, but for all the adults out there that are thinking like, oh, well, I only sleep five hours a night or six hours a night and I'm good and like I've been doing that forever and I'm fine. It's actually not correct. Like you, you might think you're fine, but you are not. But you could, you could be performing better. Yeah, like you, you would be your health and your like long term health would be a lot better if you were sleeping in that seven to nine range. Your day to day operations would be a lot better if you're sleeping in that seven to nine. And you just you you don't know if you're not getting that amount of sleep. Um, there is a really, really, really small subset of the population that does not need seven to nine. And it's like a genetic variant that they can test for. Um, but it is more, I can't remember the statistic I read about it. I keep meaning to look this up. It's something like you are like thousands of times more likely to get struck by lightning than you are to have this genetic variant. <laughs> so if you're one of those people sitting there listening to this being like, oh yeah, you I have special that. person, yeah. you. you, you definitely are not the chances that anybody listening to this podcast actually, yeah, everyone's thinking they're variant. special, right? Everyone's yeah. like, you, you, like, you were thinking you that I, I saw your face go like, no, I wasn't I, the whole time I was thinking, <laughs> okay, this is actually what was going on in my brain. I was thinking like, I've always found it so fascinating how, since 2012, I got diagnosed with lupus. And then like after that, I was needing like literally like 12 hours of sleep a night, like 10, 11. I was like so tired. I could sleep forever. Just like everything. If I took a shower, I need to like lay down. I'm so tired. And then, I mean, also I was like in worse states, like my in inflammation and stuff of my flare ups. And then since I started study notes, I... And I would like obsess about sleep. Like, Leah, you know, you're going to be sick tomorrow at work. If you don't get to sleep, you need to be in bed now. You need like when I had to show up for a job every day, like 830, whatever. Then once I started study notes, just I, I don't know if it was like having something to wake up for this excitement along with um, not feeling this pressure of I have to show up for someone else tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I've found that I feel like I need less sleep than I did. I'm still getting like eight hours, but I, I've just found that interesting myself yeah. that yeah. I really thought I needed like 12, 14 hours of sleep a day. I don't know. Mm -hmm. So well, you were, I mean, that and that you're coming from a place of fear, right? Like, yeah. but like, yeah, not going to, it was like an antecedent. Yeah. It was like an antecedent. Like I know last time I didn't do this, I got sick, but I mean, 
sleep is so important. I know I've said this before, but like, I think these people who are like, oh, I only need five hours. They might think it because Mm -hmm. they have a pretty healthy body. You know, the body like can survive on these different things, I'm sure. But is it like survival or thriving? And I did not realize how important it was until I actually got a condition that was like, it's the difference of whether I could get dressed or not the next day. Mm -hmm. If I don't sleep, I can't move my hands. I can't move my joints. And it's like, then when I do sleep, it's like, it gets better. It's crazy. And there's some really interesting research too, where they, um, they basically like sleep deprived people and then ask them how sleep deprived they think they are. And they do all these different types of like reaction tests and like, motor skills and memory and all these things and they ask people to rate how impaired they think they are when they're when they're only getting five or six hours versus when they're getting seven to nine and every time they've done these studies people rate their impairment far less than what their actual impairment is on all these different tests so people are like yeah i'm doing great i feel great i'm fine five or six hours of sleep i'm good And then when they actually take all these measures and look at how these people are functioning on that sleep versus on seven to nine, it's these huge differences where like they don't even realize how impaired they are, which for me is really an interesting point of like, if you don't, if you don't realize how impaired you are and you keep doing this over and over again, what kind of damage are you doing to your body long term? Or if you're like a truck driver. Yeah, those are the worst. That is wild to me. Yeah. Someone who is doing that and going and going and you just want to get to the end and you're on a road. And it's incentivized too, right? Like the, the faster you get the job done and if you can keep going and not sleep, you're better off. Um, there's a lot of really interesting research there too with um, basically if you are even a little bit sleep deprived, that it's the equivalent of like having a drink and getting behind the wheel. And if you're more sleep deprived, it's the equivalent of actually being drunk and getting behind the wheel. So um, tired or drowsy driving is a huge cause of car accidents and and fatalities. Oh, I've definitely found myself like I used to drive back and forth to um, my master's program. It was only like three hours, but I'd have to leave here to get to class at like 430 in the morning. And I, you know, drive three hours. Yeah. Every weekend or one way. one way. What? That's dedication. So, yeah. Woo. Guys, I need my master's. <laughs> Look at her um, now. Yeah. So, but I remember like, I would be like slapping my face, like, uh, like, and just like, I, and I remember just at one point I was like, I'm just going to give up. Like, I'm just going to shut my eyes. Like I it could happen so fast, but like, yeah, I, I was just like, it'd be easier to just like go to bed, not like in a suicide way, but like, like, <laughs> wow, I just like totally dozed off and I didn't even realize it. And I can't believe I'm still on the road kind of thing. Um, yeah. And I want to talk a little bit about, um, these like four causes of sleep problems. Like one of the things that you had mentioned is like sleep isn't valuable and mm-hmm. like, you know, manipulating the MOs to make it more valuable. Um, and also I was looking at that alertness chart and that like shocked me because mm-hmm. it seems like you know, when you're most alert is based on what I was trying to get from that chart is like between 9am and 11am. And then you kind of hit that afternoon slump. And then between like 6pm and 10pm is like high alert. And if you look at that, that's bedtime mm-hmm. for most people. Yeah, so, yeah, the interesting thing about that, and that's something I like to point out, because most people don't know that 
Um, I would say that the times on that are not accurate for everybody, right? Because everybody's on a little bit different um, schedule. Like I tend to be a night person. So I tend to wake up a little later, uh, like nine o'clock. Usually I wake up and like 10 o'clock, I'm just getting my day started, but I'm going until midnight or 1am. Um, so that whole thing might be shifted later for me versus if you're up at 5am, it's going to be shifted the other way. But basically all humans go through this same sort of pattern of alertness throughout the day where we wake up and yeah, I think Is you have it. A, I think, okay, I was I just pulling so. it it's hard. It's hard to see it on there. Oh, we yeah. pulling. No, the listeners can't see this, but Leah's pulling up the chart so she can see yeah, it. I just want to know. So yeah, as you talk, yeah. I could. I think that's it. Um, basically, you wake up and you're not obviously super alert, and then as your morning goes on, you get more and more alert, and your alertness sort of climbs. And then around midday, lunchtime you get this dramatic drop in alertness. And I think most of us are aware of that. I think five hour energy made a commercial about that for a while, right? <laughs> about like the, yeah. I forget what they called it. The, the something slump. Something like, like that. Yeah. Slumps, yeah. Yeah. So we're all familiar with that. Like after lunch, you kind of have this crash and this like, Ugh, I just want to sleep. And that's like a normal cycle in alertness that happens throughout the day. And then after that, your alertness climbs for the rest of the day and you actually reach your peak of alertness usually about an hour to two hours before your normal bedtime i so know what the hell schedule. i yeah, have a new so, wake up i'm like ready for the day yeah so that's that's pretty normal for all people about an hour to two, two hours before your normal bedtime you're going to get this little spike in alertness um, so the problem with that or the reason why it's important to understand that is if you are moving your bedtime all around all the time and your schedule is sort of shifting all the time, you are going to find it impossible to go to bed during that time when you're or go to sleep during that time when, when you're at your highest alertness for the day. So if you've ever like tried to go to bed early because you had an early morning flight or like you had to be up for some reason, you're like, I'll just go to bed two hours earlier. And then you lay in bed for two hours being like, why can't I fall asleep? It's because you're at your peak of alertness for the day. And no matter what you do, you're not going to fall asleep. But the same goes for kids. Like if we're trying to move kids' bedtimes around, or let's say we let them sleep in on the weekends and stay up late. And then it comes Sunday night and we're like, okay, time to go to bed. And they won't go to sleep. It's because now you've shifted their whole schedule a little bit. And now you're trying to put them to bed during that peak in alertness. So that's why it's really important to keep a consistent bedtime and wake time every day. And that includes weekends and vacations and summer vacations. And people hate to hear that because a lot of people really like being able to sleep in on the weekends or sleep in on vacations or whatever. And it's like the worst thing that you can do for your sleep. So if, if, you're, if you can only make one change in your sleep things and, and you want to try and fix some sleep problems and you're like, okay, I only want to do one thing consistent bedtime and wake up time every day is the best thing that you can do. So I will say like for me personally, until I met my husband, who is, he's very, very on a, a same bedtime, same wake up time. I'm in the beginning. It annoyed me. Cause I'm like, it's Saturday. Why are you up at five 30? And he's like, I'm having my coffee. And like, he just has his like little routine, but, and you know, he goes to bed early, but he works. He has the same time he gets up for work. He'll wake up on the weekends mm -hmm. on vacation. And we were on Jamaica and he was like, It'd be like 6 a.m. He'd be like, all right, let's go to the beach. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? Like, no one is out right now. Um, so, but now that I'm in that routine for the last four years, I'm the same way. I'm like, 
yeah, it doesn't mean just because we're up in Saturday morning that we're like out running errands at Lowe's. Like we're just ha- having a nice quiet morning, but we're still out yeah. of bed and like awake. Yeah, that's the thing is that it doesn't mean you got to be like up at 6 a.m. on Saturday and going for a run. Like you can still get up at that same time and then say like, I'm going to spend three hours because it's the weekend just laying on the couch and watching TV and like having coffee and enjoying my morning. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're if you're a good sleeper and you're getting the right amount of sleep every night and you're staying on a good schedule, it shouldn't feel that aversive for you to have to have to wake up at that time. Your body should do it. You I was going to say my body just wakes box. up. Yeah. now. we don't set any alarm on the weekends. Yeah, yeah. and and that's great because then when you can let yourself sleep like in a natural sleep cycle where you're not getting woken up in the middle of REM sleep or getting woken up sort of at a weird part of your sleep cycle but you're still waking up at approximately the same time. That's great. Like that's like the best feeling ever when you wake up and you're like, all right, I'm good to go. And and it's still the same schedule and nothing's weird about it. Yep. Absolutely. That um, sounds so cool. <laughs> so for a kid though, like, what, like a parent listening, like how, what are some tips just like, like not going into like all your you know, things that you offer, but what are just like a couple tips that you could give like a parent who's listening? Like, how do I create, you know, alternate or manipulate the MO or like, what do I need? Like (laughs) to start with? Well, the biggest thing is the sleep schedule. So make sure that they're getting a consistent wake up time and a consistent bedtime every night. And that, again, that includes weekends. And what about when the light changes? Yeah. So that's, that's an important one too. Um, Light plays a really big role in sleep and I think a lot of people are starting to understand this now because it's it's kind of out there um, people talking about blue light all the time and things like that Um, and the reason that's important is your your body um, biologically sort of gets ready for sleep um, by releasing certain hormones and one of those is melatonin and that's something that people are talking about a lot now Uh, and that works based on light so when it gets dark, your body starts to produce more melatonin to get you ready to go to sleep. If we're constantly bombarding ourselves with artificial light, that actually kind of screws up the melatonin production in your body. And blue light especially can be really bad for that. So that's all the light shining from electronics. So I always recommend to parents at night when their child's getting ready for bed about an hour or so before, or same thing for adults, start dimming lights in your house if you can turn off anything that's unnecessary, try and avoid electronics in the 45 minutes to hour before bedtime. I know for most adults, that's really hard to do, but it is a really important thing to do. Um, And try to have some sort of consistent bedtime routine. So like we talked about the bed being an SD for sleep, a whole routine can also be an SD for sleep. So that doesn't have to be this big, long, like hour long ceremony every night. It's just like, if you go through the same couple things every night before you go to bed of like, wash your face, brush your teeth, go to the bathroom, put your pajamas on, get your room already. That's, that's a bedtime routine. And it's really important for kids. like building behavior momentum, like high probability, high probability. And then like, now you go to sleep, not as high, but. Yeah. Yeah. It's setting up this nice little chain of behaviors and and that's really important for kids to have that sense of routine at night so um having a bedtime routine that's the same every night and that you can do wherever you are like if you're traveling or you're sleeping over at a friend's house or whatever it may be then you can still have that same little routine and that helps get you ready for bed same thing with kids like if they're over at grandparents house or whatever hopefully not right now and spreading their little kids germs in the pandemic. <laughs> Keep them at your own house. Nobody yeah, wants your kids. kids. <laughs> <laughs> um, a, yeah. 
Yeah, but having a sleep routine, keeping the same schedule every night, making sure you know how many hours of sleep your child needs. And if you just Google sleep uh, sleep chart by age or sleep hours by age, um, Google if you just Google that, you will find a ton of different sleep charts and they should all have pretty much the same information. Um, that's not a suggestion. That is like the amount of sleep your child scientifically needs. So it breaks it down by age. You can find ones that break it down even by six-month increments. Find out how much sleep your child should be getting. Make sure that they're in that range. And then try and make sure that their sleep schedule reflects that. So if you find that your child is at an age where they need 12 hours of sleep a night and they're going to bed at 10 p.m., they better be waking up at 10 a.m. If they're not, then you got to figure out a way to shift that whole schedule and make sure they're getting the appropriate amount. Um, so those are, I think, the sleep uh, sleep like bedtime routines and the sleep schedule are the two um, biggest things that I think most parents can sort of sort out themselves. Um, the things that are a little harder in treating sleep problems are sleep dependencies. So those are SDs that are uh, inappropriate or bad SDs for sleep. Um, and those can be a little harder to get rid of without getting some help from a professional to figure out what those are and how to get rid of them. Um, and also competing behavior. So we have a lot of, with kids especially, and a lot of adults as well, um, different things that we're doing at night that are competing with falling asleep. So for adults, a lot of times that's being on our phones or watching TV or whatever other 8 million things there are to do that are more reinforcing than sleep at night. Same thing for kids. It's usually a little easier to identify those things than kids. And sometimes it's a little easier to change those things uh, for parents. But um, those are the main sort of the four main areas that we look at so it's the value of sleep making sure that it's reinforcing signals for sleep that's our sds inappropriate signals for sleep also sds and then competing behavior the one thing i really like that you had talked about was um which i kind of pulled would be like more um kind of creating an abolishing operation so right before bed like they have free access to all the activities that maybe not right before bed but like you know, giving them free access to, oh, you want to play with all the toys? Woohoo! You want all the attention, all the tickles? And like satiating them on something that they may want. Um, and so that it's like, all right, get that out of your system kind of thing. Yeah, that's an important thing for adults too, is like, look at what are the behaviors that are competing with going to sleep? And what are the things that are reinforcing those behaviors? And then how can we get our reinforcers in earlier in the day so that it's not interfering with sleep so for adults it's like if you're like laying in your bed at night scrolling on facebook it's like get that out of the way earlier in your day scroll to your heart's content so that you don't give a crap what people are doing on facebook and you can put the phone down and go to sleep or you get like liat and have your you are locked out of your own apps because you spend too much time on that <laughs> <laughs> but I'm I looking know, at like, it. No one can see Leah, but we can. And she's yawned since we started this episode. I'm like, this sleep episode is really working for her. I know. She's already thinking of all the ways I to go am, to sleep. Today, especially, I told you, some days I am like, you're sitting tired. nothing about my life. I was thinking when you were saying this, it's like routine, routine, routine. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm so no person. part of my life is routine. Like, if someone were to stalk me, and be like, oh, I know her routine where she goes on this date. Like, no, you don't, because I don't know my routine. <laughs> like, nothing about it. It's like, huh, does she take her meds at 9 a.m. in the morning or at 11 a.m. in the morning or at 8? Or when she remembers them at 1 p.m.? 
or does she like nothing about me is consistent or, or with scheduling wise. The only consistent thing in my life is getting a podcast out a week. And I cannot tell you what day we'll be recording it on weekly. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> are you, a, are you a coffee drinker? Me? No, yeah. I'm an Adderall taker. Okay. Yeah. Prescribed. <laughs> Prescribed. <laughs> you drink coffee though. Eleron makes you coffee every morning. So he makes me like an iced. Yeah, he does make me an iced coffee. I'm fine without coffee. Like I, yeah, I don't, I don't think, I don't myself think, oh, I need a coffee right now. Like, yeah, he makes a I'm, nice I'm on one. day three of not drinking coffee because I, I decided I don't drink a lot of coffee. I drink maybe one or two a day at most, but usually just one. But even that, like I'm finding recently has been a bit of an issue for me because sometimes I'm drinking it too late in the day. I've also had stomach problems that I'm trying to figure out what's going on. But coffee obviously is a huge one for a lot of adults um, and it is hugely interfering with sleep. And what, what people don't understand about coffee and caffeine is that the amount of time that you feel the effects is very different than the amount of time that it stays in your brain. So you might drink a coffee and feel it for an hour or feel it for two hours and feel a little more alert or maybe feel jittery or whatever. Or that you have to take a poop. Yeah, or that yes, that's the <laughs> most most common side effect of coffee for me is like, oh, me too. I'm like, that's why I don't drink yeah. it. I'm like, ah! It's like immediate. Yeah. Um, or just that it makes you have to pee so often that it's interfering with like, like I have to think about like if I've got a meeting or a phone call or something now that like if I'm going to be on Zoom, like I I can't drink coffee because I can't get up in the middle of that and be like, sorry, I gotta be right back. Yep. And in my trailer, you'll definitely like you'll still be able to see me. So, <laughs> um, yes, but that's a big one. Like you might not be able to feel it uh, more than an hour or two, but the half life of coffee is actually really long. And a lot of people also don't understand what half life means. So that's the amount of time it takes your body to get rid of half of that drug. Okay, so. For coffee, it can be about six hours is the half-life. So that means in six hours, your body's gotten rid of half of the caffeine. So that means half of that caffeine that you consume is still in your body. And the, the problem with caffeine is it binds to these receptors in your brain that need to work when you're sleeping. And I can't, I, I won't even attempt to explain the biology of that because that's not what I do. I'm a behavior analyst, not a biologist. Um, but basically the caffeine binds with these receptors that need to be able to bind with other things that are happening in your brain when you're sleeping for you to get a restful, good night's sleep, like from a biological standpoint. So let's say you drink coffee at two o'clock in the afternoon by 8 PM, half of that coffee is out of your body. Okay. So you can assume that it's going to be well into the night before it's fully cleared out of your body. So that means some of that is still hanging out in your brain and some of that is still blocking those receptors that need to be working at 100% when you're sleeping for you to get a good night's sleep. So even though you might be able to drink coffee and then go to sleep an hour later, two hours later, it doesn't mean you're going to get good sleep and it doesn't mean you're going to get restorative sleep from a biological standpoint. It's actually really messing with sleep. Um, so sometimes you hear people saying like, don't drink coffee after noon or don't drink coffee after two. The time is irrelevant because everyone's on a different schedule. So for me, noon is like, I just woke up. Like, I'm not going to bed for another 13 or 14 hours. Right. I'm probably okay. 
Um, but for people that are going to bed at 8 p.m., yeah, don't drink coffee at noon. I, I say generally eight to 10 hours before you're going to go to sleep. You shouldn't be having caffeine anymore. And I was on, um, I was recording with uh, the controversial exchange guys the other day. And Dimitri's, it's like eight or nine o'clock at night <laughs> there. And he's just like slamming caffeine and like, oh, I'm going to go to bed now. Dimitri's hour. like a, like a, a, I just love his like energy. Like he's yeah. so, such it's, big energy. Yeah. Because he's just <laughs> slamming caffeine all the time. Sorry, Dimitri. If you, <laughs> love you, Dave. But yeah. We love you. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I was like, yeah, that that he and and I hear that from people all the time. Like, I can drink coffee and fall asleep right after, which you might, but you're not going to get restorative sleep. Um, so even though you might not be feeling the effects of it, because especially with people that drink a lot of caffeine, you sort of start to become immune to those effects of it. Like, the more you drink, the less you feel it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't mean it's not messing with your brain at night, basically. There's so, a lot of things that I've realized. Eliron yeah. drinks like seven coffees a day. That's insane. yeah, that's a lot. That's not great. But they all do in Israel. Like whenever I go there, I'm like, what? Like they all before bed, in the morning, after lunch, with lunch. Like, and I'm like, <laughs> it's cultures, man. There, yeah. um, there's something. Yeah. I would say, like when I was um, working like clinic based, um, that was like, again, if I could go get a nice coffee, I'd be the happiest person in the world yeah. and get like three of them a day. And since I, you know, <laughs> Leon's drinking one right now, <laughs> since I work from home, I don't drink coffee ever anymore. Unless mm-hmm. I, um, unless we're going on a road trip and we stop at like an aroma Joe's, but like, I just, Matt will make one coffee in the morning. Um, but for me, it was a nice coffee. That was my thrill. And it was more of getting out of work for a minute to get the iced coffee. It wasn't even the fact. Sometimes yeah. I wouldn't even drink it. It would just be there all day. So like, I need to go to Roma Joe's again. <laughs> literally, because you were talking about it so much, I wanted this. But I realized it's part of the experience also. Like, so my sister, yeah. like with, we have the best coffee machine at my house because I told you coffee is like the most important thing to Ellie Run. Like we exchange like literally like seven or eight gifts to get this coffee machine. And when my sister was just in town, she'd go to Starbucks every day. And I'm like, dude, do you actually like it? Like, I realized one day once we had this machine that I don't actually like it. I like the experience of going in somewhere. And I realized I always was throwing away, like, my full drink. Mm -hmm. But it was really just, like, habitual that it was like, oh, I like going and ordering somewhere. Now that, like, I don't see any people, it's like you could say hi to someone, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, just – we get in these habits too. Yeah. And it's hard to break those. Like, I don't, I don't really like the taste of coffee that much. I don't really like the smell of coffee that much, but I've found myself sitting here at home by myself making instant coffee because I'm too lazy to make it through the coffee maker (laughs) and drinking that every day and being like, this is disgusting. It's like dirty water. And then I feel terrible. I get jittery for an hour and I'm running back and forth to the bathroom it makes me a little more alert for like an hour. And then I have this huge crash and I was like, why am I doing this? And I miss it. Like the last couple of days I haven't been making coffee and I'm like, what do I do for the next minute in my normal morning routine now? And I'm like, I don't know, I guess I can just drink water instead and I feel better. Uh, But it's like all the other reinforcements is kind of tied up in it. It's, Mm -hmm. It's hard to get away from. And that's the thing, looking at the function of behavior, right? I'm realizing mm-hmm. now when I would go to Aroma Joe's when I was working, it was escape. The function of my behavior was escape, like get yeah. out of work for 10 minutes. I love it so much now, Casey, that you'd never try escape. 
I try to escape you all the time. <laughs> Just kidding. I take you into FaceTime in the shower and put you on the shelf so that we never leave each other. <laughs> we have no boundaries. I mean, you don't actually see anything, but you know, anyways, well, this is awesome. I love this podcast. I think that it's going to be super helpful for everyone out there listening. Um, I think that you are just really knowledgeable and can help. I'm sure you already are clearly, but helping a lot of families because this is a huge issue. And I think that people think, oh, it's sleep. Sleep's just so easy because you said it is something that you need and it's bio. But the act of falling asleep, the things that you need to manipulate in your environment to have good sleep is all behavioral. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's at the end of the day, it's not that hard to treat sleep problems usually. And, and people are usually pleasantly surprised, especially parents that are dealing with some really intense sleep problems with their kids that say like, oh, I don't know, nothing's worked and we've been dealing with this forever. And when I say like, okay, I think we can, in in two weeks, I think we can, we can make some big differences. And they realize by night two that it's really not that bad and that we try to do things in a way that everybody's going to be happy. I don't use any extinction. So a lot of, I think parents often think of sleep treatment as sort of like the Ferber method, cry it out. It's mm-hmm. going to be miserable and everyone's going to be grumpy for a couple of weeks. That's not at all how I do it. I don't ever use extinction um, or any nighttime problem behavior because A, parents just can't do it. It's, it's too hard to do it. And B, it's terrible for parents and for the kids. So we do a lot of gradual fading of things. We use some non-continuing reinforcements. Sometimes we use DRAs. And we try to make it a pleasant experience for everybody where it's like, yeah, we're going to change some things around and your routine is going to be different. And the first couple of nights are going to be weird. And then everybody's going to settle right in. And hopefully the problems will be so much better within a week or two. And people are usually pleasantly surprised how easy it is. Yeah, guys, I've been reading some stuff that she sent me of like kind of what she does for treatments. And I was like, this is so cool. Like, I'm not going to spoil it, but like you said, the DRA, the NCR, like all these different kind of fading procedures that I'm like, oh, this would actually be fun. I mean, not most parents aren't going to be like, it's fun, but like, it it does seem like it for, especially if you're any type of parent that has any behavior background, like this would, I can see how well that this would work. So yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, and and if you're a behavior analyst, um, I would encourage you to get training in this and learn how to treat sleep problems because you're going to encounter clients that have them, and it is something that we can do, and it's not something that a lot of behavior analysts are thinking about. Um, and I think right now, still, uh, training in that is is pretty limited. There's, uh, I know Greg Hanley's group offers some training sometimes. I'm not sure what they have on on their menu right now. I've been trying to offer pretty regular webinars with um, the company BDS, and sometimes I offer them privately as well, um, which plug for that. If anybody is interested in that, you can contact me and I have a mailing list for uh, CEU opportunities on sleep and anxiety and functional analysis. Um, and if you're not a BCBA, but you're in When's your behavior next analysis, one? I, I want to come to this. Um, the next one that I'm doing with BDS is on functional analysis at the end of August. And then right now we haven't, we just had one last week on sleep and another one on anxiety. Um, we don't have anything on sleep or anxiety scheduled right now, but we've been doing them pretty regularly and they've been, been getting, despite doing the same webinar over and over again, we're getting pretty decent attendance. Um, so what is the, your email that they can email you at? Um, they can email me at Kira at morebehaviorconsulting.com and it's 
Kira is K-E-I-R-A. My parents really messed that one up with the I before E rule. But yeah, I was going to say, say literally right when you were saying it in my head, I was like, I before E, except that. Okay. Yeah. Um, you can also find me on, I have a website that's morebehaviorconsulting.com and more is M-O-O-R-E. Um, and guys, it'll so all be in the show notes. Yeah, Don't you worry. People can contact me through there um, and I can put people on a mailing, an email list that I have for whenever I do those types of opportunities. Also, if you follow my Facebook page, which is more behavior consulting on, on Facebook, I post all that stuff on there as well. Awesome. You rock. Love this. I have so many. You guys are great. Thank you. I hope your students are happy that you came on. I hope so too. They've been, they were, <laughs> they've been asking me about this. My, I found out about this podcast from some of my students who have been listening. So cool. I love Regis that. College. I didn't go there. I'm just acting like I fit in, but um, (laughs) yeah. They're awesome. If anybody's looking for a grad program, they got online and on the ground and they have a great program. Where's the on the ground location? They are in Weston, Massachusetts, which is about a half hour west of Boston. And they've got some really awesome instructors. You can either do a fully on the ground program or a fully online program. The online program is still fairly new, but it's great. I've been teaching for their online program since January, and it's a lot of fun. A lot of really good students, a lot of really good instructors. Love it. Putting out some more behavior analysts, baby. Yeah, so many. Fly high on your trapeze through COVID, and we will talk soon. Thank you so much for coming on. And by the way, if anyone's looking on Facebook, just so you know, also... Kira, your Facebook page name is Dr. Kira Moore, Pediatric and Special Needs Sleep Specialist. If anyone wants to type that in on Facebook, you can follow and find out about the different CEUs and things like that. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming. This was amazing. Of course. Guys, you know where to find us on Instagram at Behavior Bitches Podcast, on Facebook at Behavior Bitches Podcast, online, behaviorbitches.com. And as always, love you. Mean it. Hey guys, it's Liat. And Casey. We just want to take a second to let you know that if you're thinking of being a millennial like us and starting your own podcast, there is a way. You can do your show without having to become an audio editing and production wizard. Cause guess what? We don't know shit with that, but we have Alan at pretty easy podcast who helped us get started. He records our shows. He posts them. He adds awesome, awesome music and cool shit. When we don't even know what he's doing, he sends us teaser episodes. He does it all. We just sit here and friggin' talk. We shoot the shit and you can record from home your office, the park, a bathroom stall at work. It doesn't matter. He provides the complete podcast studio. All you need is a microphone and you're good. Alan caters to your schedule and gives you a producer for your show at your beck and call. He has been super flexible with our schedule. Whenever we need him, we go to Google Calendar. We just book him. And he does all the hard work. It's like so incredibly easy. That's why it's probably called Pretty Easy Podcast. 
So be heard and have some fun podcasting like us. Go to prettyeasypodcast.com today. 